Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Kaysen. With me today, relationship life coach Cindy Chavez. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Jackie's off today. She'll be back next week, but uh, that's okay because we have a full house today anyway because Janine B. has decided Hi. to uh, bring a friend along <laughs> and join us on Wednesday. So, hey, Janine, how you doing? Hello, hello. How are you? I miss you guys. Yeah. Well, you, it was all one day we missed you, so <laughs> here I you know, are right? back again. <laughs> <laughs> And you brought a new friend to us. This is Suzanne O'Brien. She is the founder of the International Doula Givers Foundation, which she founded in 2017. It's a global nonprofit platform to raise awareness, education, support, and programs to benefit elders and end-of-life patients in need around the world. And, of course, that's a topic that's near and dear to Janine's heart. So, obviously, we can now see where the connection is. But, Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm on East Coast, and it seems like you're on the West Coast, and we are just like one big world. And so it's the Internet has been in a marvelous way for us to get together, and I love that the dose of happy. We Absolutely. so need that. We so yeah. need that. So thank you so much for inviting me to this space. Glad to have you. I, yeah, Janine is on the West Coast. I'm I'm actually on the East Coast, too. I'm in Connecticut. Cindy is in the Central Time Zone. She's in Louisiana. So you're right. We are coast to coast. <laughs> We're everywhere yep. here. All over the place. And this is a little bit different for us on Wednesday, Cindy, because we're used to obviously doing it with Jackie. But uh, I think this is going to be interesting because I don't know how much you know about um, the, the whole art of, of a death doula. I've been learning some from Janine, but I'm going to learn a whole lot more today. I don't know how much you know this. I do. I have um, I have some experience with it um, over the course of the last decade, and I think it's so needed and so wonderful. It's and it's such a powerful, you know experience for everybody involved um and i i just i'm excited to learn more about it but i have had one friend who was um a grief coach and end of life coach um when i was first starting out she and i were connected and she coached people who were in the process of dying and she also coached their family members um and i don't know I don't know that at that time, 2009, if the word death doula was, you know, as um, present as it is now in these circles, because I don't think I had even heard it until maybe four or five years ago um, at the very beginning. And then I actually met someone about a year and a half ago, and she did a grief ceremony because I was involved in a community that had went through something communal that was very, very difficult. And so she did a, a ceremony for all of us and it was during COVID. So it was online uh, on a Zoom call and there were maybe six of us and it lasted maybe less than an hour. And wow, it was extremely powerful. So I'm, I'm happy that you're here, Suzanne, and I'm excited to hear uh, what you have to say. And I have to tell you, Cindy, you're like four to five years ahead of me, as usual, because I just heard about it this year from Janine. It's the first I'd heard about it. So and I, yeah, I, I represent just that portion of the audience that doesn't know. And you just did. You just started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just this year. Just well, I mean, actually, I've had like practical experience because I'm a, I'm a caregiver. And and sometimes as a caregiver to senior citizens, it's just sort of part of the of the package, mm -hmm. you know, when mm -hmm. you, you just right. with someone at the end of life. And I realized that after like my very first two patients ever died while I was holding their hand. And plus I had the uh, end of life uh, 
how they, they do the end of life confessionals. And I mean, I, I did this, I, I didn't, I only realized now in retrospect that I was actually not just a caregiver, but actually a doula at, for them too. And I, and I really didn't even have any official training and I figured that's it. I'm going to school. So I, I went to an Elda and I, and I got my, and I would, I'm going to look into your training too, Suzanne, cause I think any additional training would be, would be wonderful. So that's so, kind of so how that, I me, started. We got to go to the expert now because now that we've kind of danced around it, we got to find out exactly what we're talking about. So Suzanne, mm. give us an introduction. Tell us what this whole thing is all about and tell us what your role in all of this is. Okay. So I am going to let you guys ask a lot of questions because I know there's a lot of, a lot we can cover here and it's so wonderful. Um, if I may, the word doula is a Greek word in its origin. And it really, if you know it at all, it's the, um, it's been associated with the birthing of babies. So it means someone who serves and serves. It's a non-medical and that's very key and very important. It's a non-medical person who gives physical, emotional, and spiritual support to someone else in service. And we do so much for those beautiful babies coming into the world, sometimes even before people are pregnant, but we're not doing anything for the other side of life, right? And so when we say death doula, it's very interesting because you could equally call it a life doula. There's so much about this space at the end of life that teaches us how to live. There's just the connection between us all, the spiritual components, the spiritual universal language that's very common at the end of life, which we will get into in all different cultures and religions, the same themes would come up. It's just, it teaches you everything about what I call the foundational universal laws and the awareness that we have removed death almost entirely from the way that we live our lives, seeing it, teaching about it, the, the, the way that it unites us all in this humanity, to me is a huge part of why we're seeing so much chaos and fear out in the world today. So the doula, the death doula, if you want to call it, or end of life doula, is a non-medical holistic practitioner that cares for somebody at the end of life spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And then how did the Institute come about? How did the... Now, how, how did your Institute come about? Oh, good, 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 good question. And so I think that everything sometimes comes out of need and necessity, organic need. And so my background, I am a registered nurse and I have worked most of my nursing career in hospice care, which is end of life care and or oncology, which is cancer care. And from the minute that I was stepped into that space and I was called to that space, I think you're called to this area of care. You Absolutely, know, Julie, I agree. You were saying, <laughs> you, saying you, you know, you were, had been with people and you hadn't have any training and you were actually acting as a doula. So you have that. Absolutely. Gift. And I was called to hospice care without any end of life uh, training. And I had a trust why I was being called there. And I knew the very first day that I went out to see hospice patients, I knew I was in the exact place I was supposed to be in in my life. And I, it like everything opened up and I said, this is what I've always been looking for, this connection, this alignment. And from that, I made a conscious decision that day that I would never make a decision other than my knowing, not what I think but what do I feel? And that has led me on this journey that continues to, you know, um, blossom and grow. I never thought, you know, we'd be here at this moment with this global platform, but it was as that hospice nurse and oncology nurse that people hundred percent guaranteed that we're going to have an end of life, right? That is guaranteed. I remember doing a New York times article and I said to the reporter, I said, you know, the only two things in 
or he might've said to me, the only two things that are guaranteed are death and taxes. And I said, well, wait, some people don't pay their taxes. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And he loved it. He closed the article about it. But, you know, it really is true that the 100% guaranteed is that we will all approach this space in our life. And for those we love at end of life. And so even just knowing that from the practical side of things, preparing with an advanced directive or thinking about it, these things were not being done and they're still not being done. And right now I, it's a crisis. And most end of lives I have to share with you are not going as well as they could because of this removal of it from our natural cycle of how we live. So it was, it was always coming against um, these, these end of lives as a hospice nurse, oncology nurse that had a thousand times more suffering for both the patient and the family. And I'm not talking about just physical pain. I'm talking about the whole process. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, we need to do more. You know, we need to help them. I need to be there more as a nurse. And they said, we can't, you can't, we can only allow this. Much. And I, I said, well, let me build a training. And how I started doula givers was in 2008 going up against again in a beautiful way, the CEO of hospice and saying, we need to do more and, and things of that nature. And them saying, well, we can't, we're not going to get reimbursed for it. And I said, well, let me take what I know and put it in a training and just offer it at the library for free on a Saturday. And guess what happened? Filled Mm -hmm. up, filled up. And then, you know, um, I decided that I wanted to volunteer in Zimbabwe, Africa and help hospice over there. And that was in 2012. And I feel like, again, that was our connection to this presence, the power of the presence at the bedside, no matter what it looks like. If you're in a mansion, if you're in a hut, the holistic way that we have end of life and the power of your presence is the best medicine we can provide. And when I share that story about what I learned in Zimbabwe on that trip and wrote about it and it kind of went to London and it really people started really hearing about okay, wait a minute, this this person that can be a doula for end of life makes a whole lot of sense and is really beautiful. Wow. Okay. Well, it's clear to me that you have the same level of passion, perhaps even more, I don't know if that's possible, as Janine <laughs> has expressed previously here on the show. <laughs> and I, I'm becoming more and more intrigued by it. One thought that just keeps going through my head, and this is actually going through my head when Janine was introducing us to the topic, is it used to be years ago, at least my perception was, it used to be that when someone was about to pass, family members, as a matter of course, surrounded them and kind of, I don't know, accompanied them in in a sense through their journey. And that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Now, is that part of what you're addressing? Yeah. So uh, I love that. And thank you. And that's a very, very keen awareness and very important because when I do and every month I come online and teach whoever would like to join me a free family caregiver end of life doula training. And we get people from all over the world and we have thousands of people sign up a month. So you can see why this is so important, but you're exactly right. So one of the things I share there is how did we get to this moment? of it being completely removed, something that is 100% guaranteed. And 100 years ago, it turns out that people, life expectancy was about half of what it is now. Well, it was 40, it's 46, 100 years ago, now it's 80 to 81. But the fact is that people died at home, they were cared for at home, they had funerals and wakes at home. Mm-hmm. And the grandmother used to teach the skill on how to care for that dying person to grandchildren. So it was, it was a holistic, care that was handed down generationally and we've completely removed that so you're right when you say that that there and this is the and this is my 
biggest hope is that we bring back death into the natural fold of life again, because it can go well, it can go really well. And there's a lot of, again, reasons to do that in beauty. Um, but we've removed that. And so right now, it almost is like we consider it optional. Like I've had people who are 98 years old, get a terminal diagnosis and the family say, what do you, what do you mean? Fix it to the doctor, fix mm -hmm. that. <laughs> and we have taught, we have taught doctors how to keep people alive, but keeping people alive and living are two very different things. And so there's a few things that I call the elements of why we're at this moment. And I think it's very important for us to acknowledge where we were, where we are now and, and where we want to go with this. And I can remember a couple of instances from my own life that I think perhaps touch on this topic. First one that comes to my mind is when my wife and I met, we met and we married in uh, 1999 and her father, my father-in-law, um, basically let us know before we married, you better do it sooner rather than later because he wasn't sure how long he was going to be around. Mm. So we did, and mm -hmm. he passed three months later. And the interesting thing uh, to me about what happened, he passed, I think it was two days after Christmas. And it was on Christmas Day that he basically got removed to a hospice care. And the 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 the, the main point of the experience that, that stuck with me was he wanted it that way. He had been planning it that way. He wanted to be removed from the family. Yep. Which is a really interesting thing. So I want to bring I want you to address that. The other thing I want you to address uh, a situation from my own family when my own father died. He he died in 2008. Um I remember very distinctly asking myself, do I want to be there when he passes? And I, I remember being of two minds about it. And without going into all the details about why this was true, in a nutshell, yes, on the one hand, I wanted to be here, be there for him. No, on the other hand, I didn't want to be with my other family members at the same time because I knew what they were like. And I, I didn't want to I didn't want to be dragged through what they were going to go through. I could help them in other ways, but I, I, that was just more than I wanted to handle. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, can you address those two things? And, and do you see those as patterns at all in, in the overall picture? I do. So one of the things I want to really emphasize here is lots of times, and I'm not saying this is not across the board for everyone, but Lots of times there's people who actually don't want you to be right at the bedside for when they actually have their end of life. And this is really powerful because it, it tells us a couple of things. So one of them is that they know how hard this is on you. They know that if they have their end of life in front of you at that moment, that's the last thing that you're going to remember. And it might be way too much. So I have been with people in the hospital where people have been on that bedside rail 24 hours a day, day after day after day, the five minutes that somebody goes to get a cup of coffee or take a shower, that person has their end of life. Now I want to share with you that these people have not had their eyes open. They've not been speaking for days and or weeks in the hospital. Mm -hmm. It can be extended with IVs. Mm -hmm. How do they know the five minutes? And what do you think happens when that person comes back? They're riddled with guilt. They can't believe they missed it. So from that standpoint, first of all, what a gift that is, because it's a gift to you. But what is that saying on a much bigger picture here? Mm -hmm. so we're right? So we're talking about people who have not had their eyes open, they're not talking, and they know the five minutes that you left the room. And I've been with over a thousand people at this point. I've been honored and privileged to be 
with over a thousand people in different cultures and different religions. And so many of the same themes like this show up. There's a much bigger picture going here. And for me, the comfort that this bigger scope of perspective brings to this life's journey is absolutely everything. So that's just one of, and we can expand on that in a minute. The second thing that you said, and I want to really honor you for that, you don't always have to be with somebody. If it doesn't feel comfortable to you for whatever reason, that is perfectly okay. People should not have guilt about it. They should not force themselves to do things they don't want to do. But we should also look into it, I think, because I think at, at the end of life, everyone's stuff bubbles to the top. Lots of family stuff happens. Lots of dynamics happen because you're walking into 50 years of history. But I also will share that if we can talk about the teachings of end of life now, right? Forgiveness and different things and no judgment, then it can be a different dynamic when we get there. And also, doesn't it improve our life today? So there's lots there. And I want to honor you for feeling that way. And, and any way that you feel is absolutely perfect. Very good. Yeah. Well, I, I could go on and on asking questions, but I know Cindy and Janine are just bursting. So I'm going to go to Cindy first. <laughs> Well, I'm just, I'm so thankful that you just said what you said. When my mother was dying, my sister and I were there at her bedside and she had come to the place where she was no longer communicating um, with us and her eyes were closed and yet she hung on for a very long time. And of course, we didn't want to leave for a moment. And um, my rabbi called me and he said, Cindy, I want you to go to the coffee shop with your sister and have a cup of coffee and just get out of there for a little while because you need to take care of yourself too. And you just need to get some fresh air. And then he said, and if you leave for 10 minutes and you come back and she is gone, <laughs> you can't, I don't want you to feel guilty or that you did something wrong because many people choose to go when there's no one around and as a rabbi and he's been my rabbi for decades and decades. So I know he, like you has been at the bedside of someone passing many times. And I, I was so grateful mm -hmm. for that, for that knowledge, for that little bit of, you know, knowledge that had never entered my mind before. And I absolutely know that if we would have left, I mean, that's why we weren't leaving, right? We were worried that we would be gone. And I know that if I wouldn't have had that, what you just shared, that I would have felt guilty. I would have felt like, how did this happen that I wasn't there? Right. And so it's, it's, it seems like a little thing, but it's so important to recognize, you know, and like you said, to recognize also the, that it's a gift you're being given, you know, and my mother was somebody who wouldn't leave the house without lipstick. I think I got that from her. And so, yeah, of course, she probably didn't <laughs> want anybody around while she was going into the unknown. Right. So, um, so good. If you thank you so much for sharing that. I want really your listeners to really hear what we just shared because it's so important. I remember when I was giving a, a certification training in doula givers and there was a somebody going through the program and she was caring for an 84-year-old man during that time. And every week she would share with him what she's learning in this class. And this particular week she turned around and he was crying. And she said, why are you crying? And he said, we were talking just about this. And he goes, you just gave me the greatest gift. In 35 years, I held on to my mother, not being at the bedside with my mother when she died. Oh, my. Wow. I just got chills. And I don't me get chills too. a lot when I get them. <laughs> this conversation 
the pearls. So Cindy, when you say, yeah, it's this, it's a small thing and it is in one sense, but it's the biggest thing we could ever share with one another, the knowledge of that. And then if we want to look above at this bigger picture of this life's journey from how did she know? How did she know the five minutes that you left the room? There is a lot going on here. So I think that I, I really just wanted to, again, share that one more time, because this could be something you're, for your listeners to actually heal their hearts. Now, Janine, yeah, you're the one who brought her here. Oh, I'm sorry, Cindy. I, 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 no, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was I, going this, to This say, is me moving things along too fast, so you're just I, ignoring me for a minute. I was just <laughs> going to say that I, in, in relaying this story to Suzanne, I recognized that I probably, yes, I would have. I was glad I knew this information because I would have probably felt guilt if that would have happened. Um, but then to hear someone say that they carried that guilt and grief around for 35 mm. years, I hadn't really thought about that before. And I thought, okay, I could still be carrying that if that would, you know, it wasn't the case. Um, but right. she did pass when we weren't there. We actually, we actually finally on the third day there decided that we had to sleep and we left for the night and it was about 15 minutes after we left for the night. So yes, um, I didn't feel guilty probably because my rabbi gave me that instruction, right? So, Thanks. so powerful, so important. That's good. Okay. Yeah. I, so I, I think, Jean, Jean, I got, oh, I got, I got to ask you something. Before, no, I don't want, I know yeah. I keep interrupting here, but this is not my normal thing to interrupt, but I just have to interrupt on this. Okay. You, you brought Suzanne here and, I need to set it up by saying you have probably the biggest, not stake, but the, 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 the strongest drive, the strongest desire where this is concerned. So I'm going to ask you, I don't know what you have in mind for your first question, but I'm going to, I'm going to perhaps redirect you a little bit. I want you to ask the question that also expresses how strongly you feel about this, if you could do that. You know, I... I don't, I don't so much have a, a question as I, I do really a statement is that yeah. I, I think now, Suzanne, you have a lot of experience and, and, and your experience and your enlightenment at what happens, you know, at the end of life and, and your, your willingness to sort of normalize it, right? Normalize the, the dying process. It, that's, that's what really, uh, attracts me to this and to you in the situation because I, 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 this is kind of a weird statement, but the demonization of death and the demonization of mentioning death is something I find rampant because I, I'm also, um, I'm, I'm a volunteer for hospice, uh, mm -hmm. non-medical, of course, it's just a volunteer. So I, I'm interacting with people sometimes um, in the 11th hour, which means that as they're on their deathbed, or uh, I'm also an advocate to get getting people onto the services of hospice. I'm actually in the process of getting my grandmother on. But it's interesting how even families will uh, will turn on me if I say, well, you know, your loved one is dying or talking about the dying process while even they're on hospice. It's almost yeah. like, uh, I mean, sneering, nasty remarks. I don't know how you do it. Uh, but, <laughs> but um, so I don't so much have a, I do have a question in terms of what other cultures, like when you were in Zimbabwe, what it was Zimbabwe, correct? Yeah. That yeah. We, when you and, and, but I mean, that's, I suppose that's a topic for another, another day. I'm, I'm really curious on how their death culture is compared to our death culture. But I, I think that the thing is, is what stops us is our, are these current modern beliefs around 
that, that dying is almost like you said, it's almost a failure as opposed to just a part of the, the living process, the process of, of just living. And, and so by mentioning, oh, someone is dying, you're, it, it's almost like you're throwing a slur at them. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like I, 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 yes, I, ma'am. I been, <laughs> sorry. I said, yes, I ma'am. I understand yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, and I, if, if I may, I want to honor you for being that hospice volunteer and that advocate. And I Thank also you. want to share with you that it has absolutely nothing to do with you as you must know. When you're in that space and you're getting the sneers and you're getting the looks, it has nothing to do with you. What it all right. has to do right. some and, and, and the time to talk about end of life is not when the person's dying in the bed. It's not. Right. It has to happen way back here. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think that we can do to change and make the shift in the culture and one of the greatest gifts we can give our children in this world is to allow them to know that end of life, that death is a natural part of the life cycle, age appropriately at a very early age. Because what what I'm seeing is, again, a perfect storm. So I'm seeing that children who were, quote unquote, protected or shielded, who are adults now from death, have this incredibly fearful, dysfunctional relationship with it. We see doctors who have been trained on how to keep people alive and told literally that if their patient dies, it's a failure. Somehow we've allowed death to become the number one fear in this world, in the world. And we've removed seeing it. So we don't even see our aging more and we don't see end of life anymore. So we don't even know what that looks like. Maybe you've seen a movie. That's not the reality of it. So all these things that are the perfect storm allowed us to completely create a fear bubble around one of the most sacred experiences and one of the most beautiful and the best teacher about life. And so it's this bubble that we need to bring back today, like your show, people listening to it in this moment without being at the bedside of someone that can start exploring, can start taking those walls down of fear and saying, wait a minute, this woman and this woman, they work in this and they're talking about the beauty and the love and the lessons. Wow. Maybe I don't be afraid. It can be beautiful if we just, if we just, like you said, if we start people, if we start with our children and teach them, death is going to happen. It might happen when a person's five and it might happen when they're 50. It might happen when they're a hundred, but it's going to happen. So let's they're talk animals. about it. That's right. And what, what is that? Their animals die, you know, and I will, I will mm-hmm. tell you, because I work, I work with children. There's a, there's the truth about children and death. Children are so smart. They are so smart mm-hmm. and they're they taking are. their <laughs> They are, and they're just wonderful, but they're taking their cues from us. So when we're acting a fool and a muck and not knowing, they're like, well, whoa, maybe there is something. But they definitely know that things are going on. And I'll also say that the children who've had their own end of life are these young masters. You know, they touch so many people and give so much of life lessons to the rest of us. I mean, it's just one of the most intense things ever, but this is a natural part. Should it be feared or should it be one of the most revered greatest teachings about life in general. I think the latter. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, and I also want to speak, Suzanne, to really quick, if you don't mind, Walt, uh, no. this five minutes where you left the, the, they left the room and then the person died. It, it, the, the energy, speaking energetically here, uh, the energy is so high at the end of life that I can feel my, my patients and not even be with them. 
Um, I, I feel their energy go through me without even being in the same room. And often I'll, I'll wake up knowing that they're pat, you know, oh, so-and-so just said goodbye to me. Uh, they passed. And, and so this, I, I think that right there at the end, we have one foot here and one foot in the next, or whatever that might look like, right? And so we are able, maybe soul-wise, not consciously, but soul-wise, to see maybe omnipresence, is that the word? Like we, maybe we become a little, right, because our energy is not just focused here in this body, it's, it's, it's elsewhere as well. So, so I have, I mean, I've seen, I've seen my, my patients acknowledge me. They haven't talked in days. They haven't, they haven't opened their eyes in days. And if I, if I come to them and I say, it's me, uh, I can, I can feel it. I can feel the acknowledgement. So sometimes I can even see it. That and now and and then they they pass away, uh, but it, it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, you're you're with somebody at the last moment of their life. How could it not be beautiful? Yeah, How's and you actually you actually get to step into that incredible energetic mm -hmm. space, which, by the way, will you will never look at life the same. That's so think right. about. It. We've removed this experience right from the world. And you, it's the greatest experience. It's like when I started working for hospice, my whole entire life changed because the ability for me to go take a walk around the lake or go to the grocery store, these were all gifts to me and looked at it in a very different way of gratitude. Mm -hmm. But if I may, I want to share with you what you just said from um, a, a scientific physics, energetic standpoint, because this is very important. At the end of life, many times people will see people who have died already. And I have sat bedside, and it's also an indicator that they're getting closer to the end of life. But I've sat bedside where my beautiful patients have been asleep, woken up from a nap, and had all this new information. So what, what I will share with you is in my studies is that we're holistic beings. So we're four bodies of energy, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And right now there's a global pandemic going on. And yes, it's coronavirus is one, but it's spiritually being bankrupt because we don't know a lot of us, that part of us, and we're not nurturing it. And also that's four bodies of energy at the end of life as the physical body. And this is my theory as the physical body is declining and diminishing the spiritual body is growing. And just like you said, at one point in that journey, they have one foot in this world and one foot in the next. And that's where they can see people that have died already, even angelic figures or, or just and have what I call this spiritual wisdom. They have all this information, peace in their heart, excitement. Um, and, you know, it makes sense from an energetic standpoint that this is what's happening. And when you said you feel them, yeah, because that's that frequency. So it's all about... It's all about actually physics. And there's, there is a lot of scientific data because people are like, well, can you prove it? I'm not here to prove I'm here to share, but, but there happens to be. So that kind of wanted to uh, just share that with you because it happens all the time. And it allows me to walk out of those experiences, first of all, with so much gratitude, but also it changes my whole life. I'm loving hearing somebody who is a person of science talking about the spiritual side. You don't get that. That's, that's pretty unusual. Isn't that, that's, isn't a very, that, very that's what, draw, yeah. that's what drew me into you is, is that you, you see it from so many different vantage points 
and you're just so open about it. So I'm like, oh, you have to be on the show. <laughs> you just have to be here. You have to talk to our yeah. peeps. Suzanne, at the beginning of the show, you were talking about going to Zimbabwe and that you said that when you came back, you said the story that I shared of my experience. Um, were you willing to share some of that with us today? Yeah, I, I have pictures all over. Yes, I would love to. So I remember working for hospice and obviously that was my calling, my alignment. And it wasn't going that well for a lot of people. And so really trying to develop that out, but then realizing we are so privileged in this country and many countries to have resources, to have medications, to have medical equipment, but not every place is like that. And one of my very good friends from childhood said, one of our other good friends was involved with an organization who was doing work for hospice over in Zimbabwe, Africa. And I don't think that I met with Norman and I don't think there was more than two sentences that came out of his mouth before I said, I'm in. You know, yeah, I mean, I remember these kind of things. The age of life of a woman at the time, I think, was, you know, maybe 47. There were seven year old children taking care of dying parents. Um, you know, the end of life need was very high. And I said, I'm in. So I started working for this organization, just raising awareness. And then they kept saying, you need to go. You need to go. You can go live with a Shauna family, a nurse and go out with them and see their experience through their eyes. And that to me is always priceless. And so in 2012, I found myself going over there in three and a half weeks, um, you know, completely changed my life. But what, what, and it's so beautiful and, and so many things about that trip. But one of the things that I'll share is that they don't have tons of equipment or medical this and that. What they were doing was taking a neighbor from the neighboring hut and teaching them to stay with the family, with the person who was dying and their family and hold that space like a doula and knowing what end of life looked like as the body starts to shut down and what you could do for comfort with turning and positioning or even just understanding that was so effective. And I thought, this is, I thought this is just like a doula. This is like a birthing doula. That's amazing. And so I came back and I wrote about it and, you know, a nurse in the United States and hospice experience goes to a country and is taught so much about the power of presence being the best medicine that we can provide to one another, true presence. What am I getting? What am I hearing? What am I seeing here? Bearing witness, having no judgment. And it kind of flew all over, right? And this concept about, we think we're so smart, we're in this country, our medical system is so fragmented, there's really no bedside time. Our medical professionals are killing themselves, it's just not working. But end of life, I ask you this, is end of life a medical experience? It's not. It's a human one. And we forgot that. The minute we bring that back into that awareness, complement it with medical, we've got this. Oh, there's just so much here. I love that because, you know, that also gives uh, people that aren't medical professionals power and, you know, confidence that I, I can be useful here. I can be helpful here. I don't have to, you know, I feel like in our culture here anyway, that we just want to outsource anything that might be unpleasant. Right. And if it's something that's uncertain or that we have no knowledge of, then it's probably going to be unpleasant or at least that part of our brain that makes those decisions that says, don't do anything that you don't know about. This is scary, right? So we just want to, well, we'll, let, we'll just let the medical professionals handle all of that and we'll just step out of the way. Like you said, we just remove it ourselves from it. And so it, it feels like hearing you say that, hearing you say it's not a medical 
situation. It's a human situation. It's a human experience. And just your presence there, I think for me anyway, that gives me a lot more faith and confidence in my own presence being with someone and not feeling like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse, you know, but no, I'm a human mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. that I can be present with someone just like I am in life. Yes. Um, I mean, that's, you know, any, any, any good coach will tell you that that's one of our main superpowers is that we can be present with someone. We can be with someone, right? So we do it in life. Why can't we do it in death? And I, I'm really grateful for for hearing you say that. You know, that's powerful. It is. And I want to expand on that just a minute because right now, you know, we say, okay, so it's very, very upsetting. So you have dear, the, the death being number one fear, right? Mm-hmm. And when somebody's in that space, it's very frightening and overwhelming for families. But I have to say that, you know, hospice is a wonderful model of care. Most of hospice is done in the home with the caregivers expected to do the care. So now you go back to that no experience about end of life, totally frightened, many times only a few days, weeks, if they're lucky, it doesn't work well. So what I want to share with you is that awareness that we just talked about, and then saying there is a place that you can come get a family caregiver training, just like that grandmother handed it down Mm -hmm. to grandchildren. That is the gift that, again, I like to give from what I've learned. And it works so well that that is every month I'm on there live, I will answer your questions live. And so you have this in your toolbox that you don't have to be so scared when you're being present with your mom, your dad, or whoever that you are there to show up for. Really important. Amazing. And And you have an event coming up. You have an event coming up that, that kind of reiterates what you're talking about. Talk about the event for a moment. Yeah. So thank you so much. I think that one of the things that I absolutely love is when we have something that we can share with others that makes a difference. And so I, this is how my organization started and it continues 16 years later. There are two things that we have. Every single month, I will give that level one family caregiver training, how you can learn to care for your loved one through all three phases of end of life and the interventions you can use for comfort. I teach it live and I answer the questions live. So that's every month and that's gonna be on the 20th of January. And then for those of you who are more into learning more on that spiritual body of energy and what happens at the end of life, I have something on January 6th and both of these are free webinars that we can come on and just you know teach and then talk about the three steps to conscious awakening. Because many people I feel like are looking for answers right now. And again, isn't it interesting that the answer to many of these questions is the thing that we've removed mm-hmm. from our awareness? So for for me, the time period where we get in our lives of showing up with no judgment, of meeting in presence, as Cindy says, it's one of our superpowers. I think it's probably the most important superpower we have. Because if I'm present with you with no judgment and with kindness, and at the end of life, you're not there to fix it. You're not there to take over. You're there to bear witness and support. There's a big difference there. So those two events we have, and you can find them both on the doulagivers.com website. Um, And I'd love for anyone to join us that would like to learn more. I also need to bring in a question from the live stream. We have a number of people listening live as we're recording this. Um, One of them was Jeffrey, who asked a question about a half an hour ago. And obviously, we've had so much to talk about. It's been hard to get to it. But Jeffrey, I didn't forget your question. He says, can you talk about grief rituals? Yeah. 
What we have found that's very surprising within doing this training, this end of life teaching you how to care for your loved ones is the power that it has for people to heal grief. And I think just like we talked about, Cindy, it's those moments of, wait, now I understand this part of the dynamic of maybe not being there or that, you know, these little things that have happened that have absolutely helped people to find closure and peace within right now. I get calls every single day practically about people being put on hospice and they it goes very quickly. So the grief component and the rituals around grief and just the ritual around end of life is so incredibly important for our grief and bereavement and the healthy way within this space. So what I would say is right now, if you're looking for a grief ritual, there are many things that you can do. Um, we actually have a grief guide that is on juliegivers.com that gives you some suggestions. But I will say that reprocessing I'm finding for families because it goes so very quickly and there's so many moments of regret. And we tend to highlight, we tend to have a highlight reel that is the negative during an experience because things go quickly. When you can go back and know that you did the best that you could, that, you know, and maybe again, work through some of these things and then find a way to have a ritual around honoring that person. Now, it might be that on their birthday, you want to give gifts from them to family members or you want to, you know, do something on an ongoing basis, I think has been really healthy. But I have to share right now that there's so much complicated grief attached to end of life because if we don't talk about end of life and we know it's going to show up, there's a lot of stuck energy within that space. So I would say the first and foremost thing is to probably reprocess those experiences and then bring in a ritual, if you so like, to have an ongoing way to honor that person. He actually has a follow-up that I think that pretty much dovetails with what you're saying there, uh, but I'll throw it up on screen so you can see it. He says, what comes to my mind is talking and asking about ancestors and stories of who is on the other side. So does it help to know what the person transitioning believes about their next experience? Jeffrey, I love your questions. And I think it's very important. I'm going to share with you what I call the doula giver pearls, which are very important. So I have a very strong spiritual belief. I feel like everyone knows that when I share that for sure. But when I walk into, I'm invited into an experience of end of life, I don't impose my views on that person. I'm there to support them, whatever culture, religion, belief, or non-belief they have. I'm there to be there for that. When people ask you and invite you in, mm -hmm. saying, and this does happen, people, and one of the things I just want to share that's such a, a gift within this space is that it's so feared right now, right? End of life. And I, and I, I hope and I know that we're going to shift that because it's shifting every day. When you walk into a home that's experiencing an end of life with someone they love and the stress is so high, you don't even have to say so much when you're grounded and calm. All of a sudden, and they know you do this. All of a sudden, right? It's almost like it's contagious. Fear is contagious and also calmness can be contagious. But I've had my beautiful families. Once you build the trust and you're in that space with them, you know, that's what you want. You want them to feel trusting enough to be able to ask anything and to share anything. So a lot of times they'll say, you know, what do you believe or what do you know? Or when they have that visitation, when they have that visitation from somebody who comes, I'm told that they're come to cross them over, they absolutely feel safe to share that which sometimes people right. don't. 
So I would say for that, is it important? I think it's important if it's, if it's that person's journey is calling for that, for sure. Creating a safe space can open up where miracles can happen. And they will ask, by the way. I mean, I, I, sorry, I get that a lot. Like, so what do you believe? You know, because they're, they're looking for solace and, and they're looking for comfort. And by, by, I'm just saying for my, and I'm sure Suzanne, this has probably happened to you a gazillion times, but it's like they're looking for sort of, uh, yeah, support and help. It's like, what, do you, what is your belief? And, I, and I'll share my belief. But, you know, like when you were talking about walking in, I, I'm high vibe, always high vibe, always high vibe. You know, I, I meditate. I, I, I try to go on walks. I try to take care of myself. Well, I do take care of myself to try to make sure I'm as high vibe before I even go in to see people. Yeah, it's so, very important you know. to ground yourself mm-hmm. because you're there to bear to support them, and so you don't want your mind right. to be thinking ten thousand things. And you, and also, if you exactly. really are present, you will be given everything you need to know on how to be of the highest service to this patient and family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. The the one thing that keeps coming through my mind as, as we're talking about this is the idea that the more that we talk about it, the easier it gets for people. Yes. It's just that the mm-hmm. message is coming through very loud and clear that that is the case and that there's really nothing we can't talk about. The only thing that stops people from talking about it is they just don't feel like they want to talk about it. That's about the only limit that I can see in this. Am I, am I missing something? You're not. And, you know, I think in the beginning when I open up, when I do educational talks, one of the things I say, yes, we're going to talk about end of life today, but we're talking about life. They're not exclusive of one another. And when we bring in that time is your most valuable commodity, and I will always share with people that the most important decision you will make in your life is how you choose to spend your time and who you choose to spend it with because it's something that we don't know how much we have and it's not refillable. So people start saying, whoa. And then also just enjoying the present connections during the day with nature, with another person, a stranger, showing up, using those practices that we learn at the end of life with just being present and no judgment throughout our day can completely change the world. Yeah, I agree with that. Another interesting thing that happened <laughs> that happened in my own experience with my dad's passing, and I don't expect this is going to be true for most people, but I'll, I share it anyway because I want to know what your perspective is on it. Um, I've told this story in a variety of different ways over the years here on the podcast many times. Uh, but when my dad passed, I found, much to my surprise, that I did all my grieving before he died. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just me. It was actually most of my family did the same thing. So that, and this is where the funny part of the story comes in. We're at the memorial service. We're meeting with the minister before the service in a private room. And we're all chatting up and just having a good time. And the minister is looking around with this very quizzical look on his face. It finally dawned on me. He was there to comfort us and no one needed comforting. And it was blowing his mind. So I'm just curious, is is this like unique to us or are other people experiencing this? I, first of all, I'm very happy to hear that. And I would really hope that, again, these conversations can help people to achieve that prior to that moment, because that is one of the healthiest things to be able to be in that moment and that process and grieve. We actually grieve people who lose like our, our parents. Maybe they start to not be as sharp mentally. Maybe they physically, there's a grieving process that starts to happen. And then it does happen before we have end of life. You know, there are different cultures and and different places that when that person dies, they are celebrating. 
there, the music and the dancing and what, what a beautiful space to be able to be in, right? To honor. So I think he was a little taken back because that's not the norm right now. I hope that we can get there because what that means to me is that you really were present and understood this relationship with, with your father and hopefully made the most of it, which it sounds like you did throughout that journey. And that is absolutely everything. Well, it's nice to know that I'm normal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and healthy within this, yeah. And healthy, yeah. Actually, it's probably the more important thing. Normal, I, I throw in there just more as humor than anything else because sure. I'm not even sure what normal is anymore. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> you guys got Especially more questions? When you do this, well, when you do this kind of, I just say when, when, you, when you're in this environment, when you do this kind of work for lack of a better word at the moment, uh, it, it, it's like... It changes us. It changes us. It, it's, I start to bring this energy with me in, like you said, Suzanne, with all of my interactions where it, it's, it, it just changes us fundamentally in, in, I really like who I am now with working with people who are dying. I, I really love who I am. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that because one of my doulas recently just said, she goes, I feel more alive than I ever in my life. She goes, does that mm -hmm. sound weird working in this? <laughs> I was like, no, no, because your perspective, it's like a different lens that you then mm -hmm. engage in your whole life that's full of gratitude and love and connection. So it's, it's not at all. It's one of the most beautiful things. And I really hope that everyone, again, is invited into the space um, and feel safe, especially with something that's 100% guaranteed. So we want to support people to have the most positive experiences that they can, and I and they can. Um, may I share one story before we end? I think this will sure. really resonate. Mm -hmm. I was in the oncology unit, and I used to do the three-day shifts as a nurse, those long 15, 16-hour shifts. And it was a Friday, and I remember we got a woman who came in because she had fractured her hip. She was about 47 years old because she was on chemotherapy from gallbladder cancer. Mm -hmm. And on Saturday when I was leaving the shift, she started breathing heavily. That was not something in her condition. And it turned out that she had blown a blood clot from her fracture. And this is not a good thing. But what I want to share with you on Sunday, I remember that night I left. And the next morning when the nurse was giving me a report, she said when she told, I'll call her Mary, when she told Mary about they found a blood clot, the first thing Mary said that she said is Suzanne's going to be really angry about this. <laughs> because she knew how much I loved her, because this is really important that we're together in this, but there's more here. So then on Sunday, it's a fragmented schedule in the hospital. And when the doctor came in, I usually always would follow the doctors into the rooms to hear exactly what they're saying. So this doctor came in the afternoon. She goes, what's happening? Said she's, you know, she has a blood clot. She is not breathing well. We went into the room and we walked through the doors of that hospital room. And I remember Mary said to the doctor, I just want to thank you for everything you've done for me. And I turned to look at the doctor's face and tears were rolling down her face. Now, Mary, in that moment, was telling us that she was going to die, even before we knew it. Mm -hmm. And they said that that night, so there was a whole lots of things, because, you know, time is never on our side with end of life. She had a 12-year-old son. I asked her if she'd like to go to the hospital. There was really time of the essence, important things that happened, and they did. But they told me that night that at about 11 o'clock, she woke up, Mary, from this nap, and she said, get my sister, I'm transitioning. Like with all the excitement that you would have told an eight-year-old child they're going to Disney World. And I don't even know at that point if I really use the word transitioning. 
So they got her sister out of the lounge. She comes in the room and she goes, I'm transitioning, like super excited. And I just want to ask you, what did Mary see? And she, what did she know during that sleep, that going back and forth that brought her not just peace, but excitement? And they said, you know, she had her end of life and it was just golden throughout the room. It was over the Hudson River. But that, to me, the whole thing was so poignant and so beautiful. There's a lot more going on here. And if we invited this very sacred part of, of our life's journey back into being a part of our lives, we could change this world. And we're going to. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it reminds me of when my father passed. Uh, my sister has some psychic ability. And after he passed, a few days later, she got this psychic message from him while she was in church with my mom, interestingly enough. Um, but the message that she got was that he was there. He was present, you know, just like a few days later. And my sister, being my sister, the first thing that came to her mind was, hey, dad, what's it like on the other side? <laughs> and the answer she got back was That's a smart question. Was the environment. <laughs> so, so when you describe this woman getting so excited about the transitioning, I think about my dad saying that it's festive on the other side, which I think is pretty cool. It's such a great story. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I've had people tell me about celebrations waiting for them and their loved ones coming to cross them over and just the most incredibly loving, beautiful energy and space that to me, I feel like this is the really hard part. Um, mm -hmm. And again, let's let's open our hopefully our, our minds and hearts to how much more connected we are than different in this experience of humanity and really get to those foundational universal laws that that this space teaches us. No doubt about that. And this is a, a space that we talk about a lot here on the show as part of mm -hmm. when you talk about law of attraction, you're going to be going into that space. You can't really avoid it. But you could try if you really want to, but no, you're just going to end up there. So we talk about it a lot. Uh, but the thing that I think ties into this so beautifully is the fact that when you are talking about it, from this perspective, from the perspective mm -hmm. of what happens at the end of life, who has it, other than somebody who's coming into the world for the first time, who has a better perspective on what's on the other side than somebody who's, in your words, got one foot in this world and one foot in the next world? You know, so it, it, it almost seems unbelievable that we've been ignoring that potential source of information. And here's the story of Mary who said, hey, I'm ready to share information. Get my sister here. I got to I got to tell this story. And well, not trying to sell you anything, not trying to convert you. They are just giving you their heart. And we mm -hmm. would be fools not to listen and to share this. Cindy, well, that's right. hearing you tell that story, you mentioned at the beginning that she was being treated for cancer. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, when someone finds out they have cancer, um, in my experience anyway, it's like immediately they start having to deal on some level with the fact that our life does end, right? It's like, it's suddenly it's uh, kind of in the forefront for them to deal with. And it sounds to me like Mary had dealt with it, like, and then she was ready for it when it happened, even though it happened accidentally, you know, it's like she had had the thought that she was being treated for cancer. And so possibly she was ready because it was something she had thought of. And that's what we're talking about. We never, we don't think about it or discuss it. So if we would do it before we get the diagnosis, you know, if we would just do it as a natural part of life. <laughs> do it today. We need, no, honestly, when you, when you know that one day this journey will not be the way we know it today, you live each day so very differently. Mm -hmm. And for me, everyone, okay, what's the goal? I've had one, one man who was 80 years old who was able to say when he got his diagnosis, okay, 
he had really lived fully and presently with so much love. And that to me is the key. And so, yes, when you are aware that one day it won't be here and hopefully it's not when you get a terminal diagnosis or, or it's that, yeah, it's a guarantee. We don't know when that's going to be. So enjoy the beauty of each moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This has been really cool. Um, we got to make sure that people know how to find out about your January 6th event. So you told us about the event, but where do they, I mean, you mentioned the, the website, but how do they actually get, become a part of this? Sure. So if you go to doulagivers.com, so it's www.doulagivers, one word, .com, on the homepage, it has events. And you can go right to that homepage. You're going to scroll down a little bit. You can pick whichever event you'd like to come to and just register right then. And they're on that page. And, and for people like me who had no idea, doula is spelled D-O-U-L-A. So make sure you get the U in there. Otherwise, you're going to be really confused when you don't find yes. the website you're looking for. Um, also, tell them how how do they reach your organization? So the same way. You can go to doulagivers.com. And we have, of course, a very active Facebook page and Instagram and things of that nature. And we do a lot of lot. We also have a life cafe every week on Zoom. So I don't want to overload anybody. But if you if you go to doulagivers.com, you can find the different offerings that are there. And then you can pick the one that feels right to you. We have such an incredible global community that meets in presence and we invite every single person to join us in this because that is the key, right? We're here together in this and to make it the best world we can do. Um, however we are called to show up is really what we're supposed to be doing. So Suzanne, you said that you're, that you do a monthly class that's for families to learn yeah. about end of life. Is that, does that include children that can come to it or talk about children? Uh, both. I mean, <laughs> in other words, it's for families. So how does the younger group, um, fit in to your free, you know, class and learning and. So the, so good question. The level one family caregiver training, and it's for anyone who feels called to learn this skill. So anyone can take that. Um, and then again, I'm going to stay on and answer questions. So I'm going to give you three weeks. It's a 90-minute training. I always find this fascinating. It's a 90-minute training in its um, fullness, and then we're on there for like four hours because of all the Q&A <laughs> from all over the world. People don't have to stay. But I think it's really important because if people have specific questions they would like answered, that's a really great opportunity. This training gives you such a foundation. People have used it all over the world with great success. And you can get a free handout of it as well. So you can have it in your toolbox. Um, and again, if you have questions about specifically about children, we can answer those. But everyone is invited to the trainings. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I think I can speak for everyone when I say this has been a very welcome visit and very inf informational. And, and I've learned a lot. I'm sure that listeners have learned a lot, too. So, Suzanne, thanks so much for taking the time to, to share all this. Thank this you, has been Suzanne. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Janine, for bringing Thank you, Thank you all, because, you know, our world is heavy right now. I don't have to mm -hmm. tell you that. To have such right. light such upbeat and light and positivity being put out. I want to honor you. And I thank you so much for doing that. We need it so much right now. So thank you for the invitation. You're most welcome. Thank and you. thank you to thank our you live streamers. Today. And thank you to the podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you.